Hey everyone, Saltgrass Steakhouse is now open in Mishawaka. Wrangle up the crew and head down to Saltgrass Mishawaka for an unforgettable experience. Sink your teeth into mouth-watering char-grilled, certified Angus beef steaks. Sip on ice-cold craft cocktails. And don't forget to try the famous Spicy Range Rattlers, all made daily in the Scratch Kitchen. Start making delicious memories at Saltgrass Mishawaka, 5126 North Main Street, across from Lazy Boy Furniture Galleries. Dine with us today. Sportsbeat continues on 960 AM WSBT, your home for Notre Dame Navy tomorrow at noon. Sports Radio 960 WSBT. I'm Darren Pritchett from Notre Dame's Compton Family Ice Arena, where tonight we've got some college hockey on our sister station, Quality Rock, 94.3 FM, number 18, Notre Dame hosting number three, Michigan, in the first of a two-game Big Ten Conference Series. Let's dig a little deeper into Notre Dame Navy as we're joined by Patrick Engel, Notre Dame football writer, covers the Fighting Irish basketball team for Blue and Gold Illustrated. You can read his work at blueandgold.com. And he joins me here on WSBT Radio for a little Friday conversation. Patrick, how are you this evening? Doing great, Darren. Thanks for having me. You bet. Thank you so much for your time. I'm going to jump into basketball really quick before we go to football. Very interesting game last night. Radford's a very good mid-major basketball team, an older squad, and they had Notre Dame on the ropes. They were up by nine in the second half before Notre Dame rallied to win the basketball game, 79-76. to We saw Notre Dame really struggle with the pick and roll. In that game, I think they got better as the game went on. And Mike Braven mentioned the coaching staff might have to be a little better in putting their guys in a better position on the defensive end. I almost felt like sometimes, Patrick, they are so right now in a spot to have a a small bench where they may only play six at the most seven guys that they don't want to get into foul trouble early on in the ball game. And that might have led to, I thought, a little hesitation on the defensive end. What was kind of your takeaway of the the Notre Dame defense in that game against the Highlanders? Yeah, I think it kind of had a a, a lot to, or at least in in some capacity to do with the fact they only had six guys because Marcus Hammond, the, the grad transfer from Niagara, who Mike Ray called do the first half of preseason practice, probably Notre Dame's best guard. So it was going to be six all the way, no real consideration of uh, getting a seventh guy in there even for a minute, for, for better or worse, and not really a place you think of many teams being on opening night, but yeah. that's where they've kind of decided to live. And I think maybe the not wanting to get in foul trouble early was part of the reason that they – went to that uh, one through one zone there for a lot of the first half. And I think you saw a lot of uh, Radford hang around there in the first half and then early in the second half really build that lead because they really get threes against that zone. And eventually that was going to be the thing that, you know, that could have buried Notre Dame if I kept on even longer. Like, you know, if you're trailing, the last thing you want to be doing is giving up threes. And so I think in some ways the – you know, you go back to man, and then you start switching everything, and then before that, they start really trying to hedge up top, like, just really trying to take away threes, and even if, like, all right, they are going to have to end up giving up some twos like they did when Radford started hunting the matchups off the dribble they wanted and going right at them. So, if, if there was any kind of silver lining there in a 
defensive performance that's not really going to go as a, a good one at all. It's that Bradbury only took six threes in, in the second half and made just two of them, and Notre Dame made just enough of themselves uh, to be able to claw back there from that that nine point lead. Where, uh, yeah, you start zero of seven and you're you know you're giving up threes uh, on the other end. That's how you turn nine points into a double digits, and you're you're out of it with with five minutes left. But yeah, a defensive performance that you didn't expect from a an old you know veteran team that was the same age as the starting lineup, the rotation, at least, when Hammond is healthy. The top seven is the same age as the starting lineup the Orlando Magic rolled out there on Monday night. <laughs> you expected just a little bit more crispness, I guess, I really on both ends, even from a team that was, like, you know, good enough but still kind of limited on defense last year. Just the, you know, a lot of getting beat right off the dribble that you don't really expect to see against a, a mid-major team. Let me throw in one more basketball thought. I kind of watched the game at times away from the basketball, and Radford did whatever they could to be all over Dane Goodwin. Wherever he went, they were fighting through screens. They were not going to let him go for 21-10 and 10 like he did in the exhibition game. Now, he went one of eight, but they were really guarding him hard. But I really think that opened up Nate Lashevsky And boy, did they need Nate last night, Patrick, with those 28 points and 12 rebounds. Yeah, absolutely. And you saw from the start, like, he was really hunting shots and, and attacking guys off the dribble. And, you know, that's kind of a different version of them that we heard was, you know, in the works this offseason that, you know, we, we heard him and, and Mike Gray talk about how uh, one of the emphasis is when he was going through the pre-draft process was, be more aggressive. Go take mismatches off the dribble. You're, you're going to play the five a lot. You're going to have centers who can't stay in front on the dribble. You might get guards who are switched on to him that he can beat uh, when he puts it on the floor. And you saw a lot of that, and he took 15 free throws. Right? That was getting fouled when he was around the rim, getting fouled on, on rebounds, which he did a few times. And believe it or not, those 15 free throws, that's 30% of his total from all of last year. So that really goes to the aggressiveness idea that you had wanted to see and had he had kind of uh, hinted that you might see. So, absolutely, Notre Dame's going to need uh, need that from him a lot, especially as long as Hammond is out and he's kind of shaken up to be a guy who you know, was going to have the ball in his hands and uh, be a, a pretty steady or at least get a lot of chances to, to be one of Notre Dame's primary shot creators. Patrick Engel, Blue and Gold Illustrated, my guest on WSBT Radio. All right, let's turn our attention to Notre Dame football for a couple of moments. Let me set up my question by saying this first off there's a lot of criticism amongst irish fans you see it on social media with notre dame offensive coordinator tommy reese i'm not in that category i think he's called some really good games this year i thought the first half of marshall was a little off and red zone offense needed to get better and it's getting better so i'm not really on that bandwagon to to bash tommy i've I've been more frustrated with quarterback recruiting than play calling so let me ask you kind of a a strange question, and I think you know where I'm going with this. Based on who Drew Pine has shown to be the last four weeks, Tommy has made sure this football team has ran the football, and they have ran it effectively. As you watch the way Tommy has called the games, and again, based on Drew's limitations, I kind of feel like he's getting as much out of Drew as you can at this particular time. Do you kind of agree with that assessment? I think he's putting Pine in the right spots to get the most out of what he is and kind of mask what he's not. 
And even within that, I think there have been some throws that it's like, all right, that's still got to be a make. Uh, you saw, like, I'll go back to Syracuse for a minute. There was a screen that he kind of, I think, threw low to rental styles. Then there was a, another, I think it was ended up being a screen that he threw away because he couldn't quite ever figure out how to adjust the arm angle and get it around the defensive end who's coming up field. But then you saw him make that exact same throw, uh, the ladder throw that I talked about, the very next week against Clemson. So that's the kind of stuff you want to see where it's like, all right, moment that was not comfortable there that it's just not repeated. And maybe that's where some of the the lower throws that have been pretty easy around the line of scrimmage uh, have been kind of disappointing. It's like, all right, those have to be the layups. You're not asking them to do a whole lot, but when that's the case, you got to make sure you hit all the layups. And I think there's still a little bit of room to grow there. And I think some of those layups even include, like, when you've got a wide-open, like, seam shot for Michael Mayer that, mm-hmm. you know, if there's no one within four yards of him, that's as wide open that he's going to get most of the time unless you're North Carolina's defense. But that's another story. So I think Reese has found the right structure to get the most out of the offense when the quarterback might be is, you know, limited or not going to be able to sling it around and go, you know, blow for blow with, uh, you know, a passing offense that wants to throw a lot or has some explosiveness. And I think the more they can get used to that, the more they can kind of get everything possible out of that and maximize that formula, and the more they can kind of make it all kind of mesh, the better you're going to be when in the last game of the year when you have to go up against a really good passing offense in USC. So right now I think they've found at least the right kind of idea to get the most out of an imperfect team. And now it's just about maximizing everything within that and making sure all the stuff that has to hit to make an imperfect passing game not cost you, make sure it keeps hitting every week. Which kind of leads me to my next question. I think it's pretty remarkable considering how you just evaluated the passing game, which I think you're right on, they are able to run the football at such an extremely high level. Normally when you have a deficiency that's kind of self-inflicted, the opposition can sort of take away what might be your strength. But right now, Patrick, despite the passing game being very inconsistent, they are running the ball as well as anybody in the country. I think that's pretty telling to how physical that offensive line has been and also the way the running backs have just been very patient waiting for holes and then boy once they see that hole they're off to the races yeah and really that's number one of things on the list of all right what has to hit to make an offense with a below average passing game still score and move the ball in the manner that it has in the last couple games and it's a run game that looks you know borderline kind of elite there. And that's not just, you know, the, the stable of running backs and the different things that those three guys bring and not just a an offensive line that's really, really feeling it right now. But it takes some a certain creativity and uh, design ability and, and rhythm as a play caller from Reese to keep finding ways to find yards on the ground when everyone knows you're going to run. I think you saw a lot of that in the Clemson game last week where – you know, against Syracuse, it was just all up the middle, up the middle, like, you know, not trying to hide it. Last week you saw a little bit more try to get to the outside a little bit. You saw Drew Pine keep it on a couple of zone reads there. You saw another game go even to higher percentages of sets and, uh, you know, with 12 personnel with two tight ends and just run duo all the time. And even if that was, you know, going more off tackle with one of the running backs, that I thought was pretty good just overall design of, like, 
it's no secret what Notre Dame wants to do. How are you still going to find space each week and, and keep someone kind of guessing with new wrinkles that you kind of unfurl all the way? And that's, I think, what we, what you kind of want to just watch for every week is, all right, how do they plan to go about this and, and how do they go about it as, as the game unfolds? And you saw Michael Mayer a few times, like, you know, they use him as kind of a, a decoy where he leaks out of the flat or runs a little route just to take one more guy out of the box. So you, you try to create some better numbers for you. I think we saw a couple of plays where Notre Dame did that. Uh, against Clemson, you saw unbalanced offensive lines. Like, mm-hmm. So those are the kinds of wrinkles. And we don't know what they are until you see them, but just those kinds of things that maybe you weren't thinking about until you saw them in the game that you want to kind of keep seeing throughout the, the rest of the games here, even though uh, I'm not sure. Notre Dame is going to need to really put all the stops to run the ball well enough to win against Navy and Boston College. But, you know, those games have been danger zone before, so, uh, you know, they can't afford to overlook them. Patrick, I referenced your tweet on the show earlier this week, and I'm having trouble remembering the exact number, but you had a tweet that referenced the number of yards Notre Dame ran the football against Clemson on average before contact was made against the ball carrier. Wasn't it something like over three yards before a Clemson player put their hands on the ball carrier? I believe it was 3.6, and that was a season high, and I'll spot myself here right now. That's incredible. Yeah, it's going to speak to... Yeah, absolutely. And as much as I just talked about the creativity you kind of need to be seeing every week, that just really speaks to, as much as anything else, like what Notre Dame's offensive line is doing and just how, you know, the, the, a lot of the phrase you heard at the beginning of the year when they were struggling was get to the point of where you have five sets of eyes seeing all the same thing and working as one. I think you're definitely seeing that right now. Patrick Engel, Blue and Gold Illustrated, blueandgold.com, my guest. I guess I feel like when I talk to your colleague Tyler or I read stories about the Notre Dame defense. I think we're all in the same category throughout the year. You watch the defense, you're like, that was really good, but then there was always an an and but. In the last couple of weeks, well, they've held the opponents under 300 yards, but this team scored this many points or that team scored that many points. It really felt like last week, Patrick, it all came together and that defense put together as good of a performance as you could have hoped against that Clemson football team that looked like they were not going to be able to do anything throughout most of that football game. I agree, and and I think that's a good way to kind of put it with the first eight games there on defense, or I guess maybe you can call it seven, but where you notice, all right, they do a lot of things pretty well, but the high-impact plays that can really swing a game yep. were just kind of lacking, whether that was getting red zone stops that force field goals or goal line fourth down stops, goal line stands, whatever it was, it forced no points. The turnovers, just a lack of, uh, you know, pass breakups and forced fumbles, all that. None of that really applied last week. You saw a lot of, like, the, the impact yeah. plays. You saw the turnovers, uh, fourth down stops that they got uh, inside the 40 there. Uh, finally, a red zone stop for the first time all year, and uh, – a red zone possession ended in anything other than a touchdown for the first time since the Cal game. It's not just a field goal. It's a, you know, a pick six that basically puts the dagger in Clemson. So those are the kind of the impact plays you've been wanting to see a little bit more of. And I think there were some signs of it the previous two games where the tackles for loss production was kind of creeping up there, and, and so were the sacks. But the getting stops in the red zone, uh, you know, being able to get teams off the field on fourth down, get them into 
third and long and then bury him on, on, on third and long. Like, I think he saw, saw a lot of that. So definitely kind of heading in the right direction. And maybe it was a little bit of just turnovers and, and fumbles to have a, a degree of luck to them where a lot of the forced fumbles or just other teams just dropping the ball hadn't been bouncing Notre Dame's way until the, the previous couple games. And then, of course, you don't need to have the, the highest havoc rate or have a play rate and your highest turnover creation in the country if you're blocking tons as often as Notre Dame does. Hmm. Let me sneak in two more questions. First off, with Navy being the opponent tomorrow, for me, I'm a little concerned about the first quarter, this team coming off an emotional victory, being on the road, taking on an opponent you see every year that's, that's kind of difficult to play in Navy. I'm a little worried about the start of the game. But as you look at this matchup, what stands out to you? Is there anything that concerns you from a Notre Dame standpoint about this matchup with the midshipmen? You look at Navy's run defense, and the numbers are, are generally pretty good, where I believe it's about 3.2 yards per carry. Or I know they rank 13 nationally, and it's around there. And yards per carry can be influenced by sacks and kind of hide how good a run defense is. Maybe it's kind of just middle of the pack in sacks, so they've done a pretty good job with that. But they haven't seen a, a run game operation like Notre Dame's at all. They haven't played a Power 5 team yet uh, this year. And a lot of the teams they have seen, especially in conference, have been ones that don't have particularly good running mm-hmm. games. So this is, in the same vein, like a, a challenge for, for them, too. So you kind of think of, like, all right, is Notre Dame going to be able to out-Navy Navy just in the sense of what they've been doing recently, if not trying to throw the ball too much? and really just leaning on that run game and trying to chew up clock and win time possession. They haven't lost the game this year where they've won the time possession. I think they'll be able to end up doing that against Navy, which when you think of how long Navy tries to just keep mm-hmm. play, keep the ball and play keep away, that's you know it will be a legitimate accomplishment to, to do that. But I think you'll still see a little bit of like trying to hit some things through the air, trying to build up Drew Pine a little bit and still make sure you're getting the most out of that, even if maybe the ceiling there isn't that high. Because this is not a particularly good uh, Navy pass defense. And you're going to want to probably have as much out of that passing operation as you possibly can and get it to that point by the time you have to go play at USC to end the year because you might be thinking, all right, there's going to be some moments in that game where you might have to throw the ball. So I think we'll see a little bit of that. Uh, I, my colleague Tyler Hork and I did a, uh, a kind of a, a point counterpoint earlier in the week of, like, will Drew Pine set – another season low in pass attempts in a start, which he has the past <laughs> two weeks. They both said no, <laughs> because it's been 19 against Syracuse, 17 against Clemson. Uh, those were low and then another low. I think we'll see over 20 just in the sense that there's going to be, if you look at how Navy's pass defense has struggled, some opportunity to, to throw the ball. And I think there's still a little bit more Notre Dame can get out of that, even if you know, you're not going to have this high-end passing offense. All right, finally, we are going to wager Tyler Horka's salary at Blue and Gold Illustrated on this. All right, so there's a lot of pressure on you, Patrick. If you had to bet on one of these two happening in tomorrow's game, we're betting Tyler's salary. Pine goes over 225 passing yards or Notre Dame blocks another punt. Which way are you going? Hmm. <laughs> yeah, this is, this is real pressure filled here. I mean, hey. I'm, I'm wagering enough money to buy 10 Ferraris, right? <laughs> yeah, that's right. Now, um, <laughs> now we can have uh, 20 I, if you get this right. So there you go. <laughs> well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stay consistent with something that uh, he and I did in another story as we could be just picks and over-unders. We both picked 
uh, one of those props was 0.5 block punts in this game. I took the under just because it's really hard to do that for yeah. five games in a row. So just by default, I guess I'll go Pine 225 passing yards, even though it's been a while since he's gotten there. I believe BYU was the last time he cleared that mark, and it's only been over 200 once since then, and it was against UNIV when he was barely over. But I'll, I'll, I'll take some kind of chunk passing play, whether okay. it's a, a shot for Tobias Merriweather or something breaks down or maybe just misses a bunch of tackles back there and you get a long catch and run for a while. And, you know, Michael Mayer maybe breaking five tackles and taking a crossing route 40 yards to the house or something. So, and like I said, I think they're going to go over 20 passing attempts. So okay. it, it's not like Pine will have to need, need to average, you know, 13 yards a, a pass attempt to, to get there. So I'll go 225 and we'll go 225 on the dot. Okay. All right. Tyler's money should be safe then. Hey, what's happening at Blue and Gold Illustrated, blueandgold.com today and tomorrow? Well, today you can go check out a story Tyler did on, on Prince Collie and uh, the relationship good. that he has with uh, his one of his uh, mentors and former high school coaches who was a retired uh, lieutenant colonel in the Air Force and, and their just how tight their bond is and how it's helped both of them through some, uh, some tougher times. So I, I highly recommend going and, and reading that. You can find his mailbag column. You can find my Friday Five column. And then throughout all of uh, tomorrow, you'll be able to, to see both of our stuff from the game. Tyler's in Baltimore. I'll be covering it from home. And we'll be rolling out stuff all day. Patrick, thanks for doing this. Always appreciate your insight on this Notre Dame football team. And, folks, as you get ready for tomorrow's game, make sure you log on to blueandgold.com for the latest on the Fighting Irish. Enjoy the ball game tomorrow. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks, Darren. Appreciate you having me. You bet. Thank you so much. Patrick Engel covers Notre Dame football, Notre Dame men's basketball for Blue and Gold Illustrated. The website is blueandgold.com. Hey everyone, Saltgrass Steakhouse is now open in Mishawaka. Wrangle up the crew and head down to Saltgrass Mishawaka for an unforgettable experience. Sink your teeth into mouth-watering char-grilled, certified Angus beef steaks. Sip on ice-cold craft cocktails. And don't forget to try the famous Spicy Range Rattlers, all made daily in the Scratch Kitchen. Start making delicious memories at Saltgrass Mishawaka, 5126 North Main Street, across from Lazy Boy Furniture Galleries. Dine with us today. 